Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm guest host Rachel Porter, sitting in for Carrie Gessner, who will be back soon. Yes, she will be back next week. But this week, Rachel and I are talking about two TV series, Younger and Sister Wives, and two holiday movies, A Castle for Christmas and Single All the Way. So welcome. Thanks. I'm so excited to be back. I've missed being on the pod. (laughs) Yes. We love to have you. Um, So yes, Carrie will be back next week. And so this week, you're just totally filling in. So this is your first time as an actual co-host, not just a guest. So It is. I'm very fancy. (laughs) but you have been watching a show that i watched like one episode of it forever ago so i'm really excited to hear about this um this show younger which just wrapped up its final season i think didn't it 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 did yes i was so captured by this show i watched all seven seasons in a month and a day exactly (laughs) during which i was out of town for six days so (laughs) it it just fully captured me um, so, I'm so excited to talk about it. Younger is a, like a half hour sitcom style show. You can find it on Hulu and it stars Sutton Foster as Liza Miller. And then there are all these other wonderful cast members. Hilary Duff is Kelsey Peters. And then Debbie Mazar is in it. Nick, Nico Tortorella. Miriam Shore, Peter Herman, and Molly Bernard are kind of the main cast folks. Uh, Peter Herman and Molly Bernard are technically listed as recurring guest characters, but they're on a lot of the episodes, if almost all of them. Um, so Younger is about primarily Liza, who is a 41-year-old woman who has just had her marriage kind of fall apart on her. And she previously was in the publishing business. She wants to go back to publishing. She loves publishing. She loves books. She loves everything about it. And as she goes to try to find entry-level positions, no one will hire her because of her age. She cannot get hired anywhere in any publishing firm that she attempts when she goes in as her 40-year-old self. So she hatches a plan with her best friend, who is Maggie, and that's Debbie Mazar. And she masquerades as a 26-year-old woman instead and immediately gets a job with Millennial Print and is working for Diana Trout, who is Miriam Shore, who is just a queen amongst queens. Diana is amazing. (laughs) She wears these amazing statement necklaces. She's kind of embittered and sassy, but has a huge heart. You just have to kind of get through a lot of stuff first. And on her first day at the job, she meets Kelsey Peters, who is Hillary Duff. And Kelsey becomes her compatriot, companion, everything. And the two of them really foster an incredible work and personal relationship that really develops through the course of the whole series. And then on her first night masquerading as a 20-something, she meets Josh, who is Nico Tortorella, who is just so sexy and charming and sweet and lovely and he is 26 and he's a tattoo artist in Brooklyn and they end up hooking up and Liza thinks well this is just a little fling to get me back into the world but she continues to be 26 during that and they develop a real relationship as it turns out and so 
the whole show is about her kind of navigating these dual existences of her 41-year-old mom self, who's recently separated from her husband, and her 26-year-old publishing uh, assistant young self, who doesn't really know all the lingo of being young and doesn't understand being a millennial and doesn't understand all of these things. And I'm realizing as I said this, she actually works for empirical print millennial becomes an imprint of empirical later on in the series. So my apologies for that little misstep. (laughs) Um, So it's just all these relationships and it's amazing to watch Liza kind of come become who she really is by being someone she's not, or at least by being the age she's not. And very cute. Yes, it's super cute. cute. It's very fluffy. But what's the things that stand out about it that made it just so well bingeable for me were the female relationships are incredible. It is a show of queens, all of them. They are (laughs) such strong friendships. They have each other's back all the time. They have conflict, especially as people start to kind of gradually discover the truth about Liza, which creates a ton of conflict in the show. But the care that they have for each other and with each other continues. You know, as relationships shift, she goes from being Diana Trout's erstwhile secretary to being, you know, one of her closer people that is someone that Diana can actually confide in and talk to. And she and Kelsey become a powerhouse duo in the publishing world. And her and Josh go through just a lot of stuff and they, you know, they're on again, they're off again, they're up and down. He is, um, I don't think this spoils too much. He is the first one to find out she is not actually 26, which I think is great because otherwise you get into a pretty dicey area given their romantic and sexual relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there, the tension is always there between that and then in the difficulties of the publishing world. Mm-hmm. But it's super, super fun. It's got a lot of real world analogs. There's a pretty funny character that's clearly an analog of George R. R. Martin. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Makes me wonder actually who he ticked off, but uh, the character <laughs> is pretty great and terrible. And it's just fun. It's fun. It's light. It's perfect for when you want a little bit of brain fluff, but that you actually do get really emotionally engaged in. That sounds perfect. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't keep watching it. I think I just, I don't know, maybe I was having aging angst when I started it and was like, I don't (laughs) need to feel more shame for being over 40. So I'm going to put it (laughs) maybe because I'll return to it when I don't feel that Well, I definitely hope you return to it. It was really fun, and I just had the best time watching That's great. it. I love, I love feel good shows. Um, I love female friendships in in TV shows, and I, being like publishing adjacent and kind of a little bit knowing how some of that works, I think I'm not sure if I want to. Uh, well, well, we'll discuss that with A Castle for Christmas because there's some publishing world stuff in that as well. But sometimes when that's portrayed inaccurately, I get sort of frustrated, but I'll have to remember it's fiction. <laughs> it is fiction. And I imagine it's very fictional based on, you know, my extraordinarily limited understanding of the publishing world. But the tension is there and the seriousness is there. And 
I feel like it certainly honors books and it honors authors and it honors the art of publishing pretty well. Cool. Fun. Yeah. You have been watching something very different, though. Yes, this is very, very different and probably not as feel good at all times, although there are some things <laughs> that are fluffy and feel good. So um, this is a reality show called Sister Wives, and it's been on since 2010. Um, I think they started filming it in 2009, and it's still on. And there is a new season, and I had gotten stalled out on it a few years ago and decided to pick it back up um, during this. I think I started it again right before Thanksgiving, and I have binged like multiple seasons in just a couple of weeks. Um, so I've been, yeah, like I said, I've been watching it off and on kind of since it started. But the premise of this show, it's on TLC, but you can also find it streaming, um, is uh, a polygamist family. <laughs> and um, <laughs> when we first meet them, they're living in Utah. And they are from a, it, they're not technically uh, Mormons, but they're from like a, a sect that's similar to the, the mainstream Mormon church. Um, and it's one husband who has four wives. And between all of them, they have a total. How many kids do you think they have? I'm just going to have you guess. One husband, four wives, a total of, hmm, I'm going to go 32 children. Oh, goodness, not quite that much, but they have 18, which is still <laughs> quite a lot. A lot. <laughs> quite a lot. More than, like, 18 more than I have. So <laughs> any, anything seems like a lot to me. Um, and uh, there's various tensions they go through. Um, the fluffy happy parts are when all of the children are together and there's happy things like weddings of the kids or one of the kids has a baby or the husband has a new baby or something, or um, they go on little trips and things. And um, those parts are all very happy and cute and fluffy. They also will often have an end of season game night that's the entire episode. And for some reason, I love those. I think they're really fun. It's sort of like... Um, it's like getting to experience a family gathering, except not because it's not your own family and there's a pandemic. And so I think I've been vicariously enjoying gatherings through some <laughs> of those episodes. Um, so that's the fluffy cute part. And um, the not so fluffy cute part is that in early seasons, they're actually about to get arrested because oh. polygamy is a felony in Utah. And um, most polygamists in Utah are sort of closeted, and this family decided they were sick of living under the um, threat of arrest at all times. So they started having this reality show, and having that openness of their lifestyle um, led to there being arrest warrants for especially the husband. So um, there's a whole sequence early in season two, I think, where they flee in the dead of night from Utah to Las Vegas. And then they spend several years living in Vegas. Um, and so there's there's things about them trying to sue the state of Utah and trying to fight for their version of marriage equality. Um, so they actually are all pro-gay marriage because they themselves have this very unconventional um, lifestyle. And in many ways, even though their religion is a little bit conservative, they do have, some of them have some progressive politics because they recognize how they've been sort of maligned. Um, and so that part is kind of interesting, but it is very stressful. Um, and they also have a lot of money problems because they have way too many bells to feed. So that part <laughs> is also stressful. Sure. Um, yeah. And then there is also the inevitable, like, not all the marriages are actually that 
solid and not all the wives get along with each other. And so there's a little bit of um, stress there. Um, and, you know, there's some, one of the wives is an avowed feminist. Like she's like, I am independent because I really only have my husband one fourth of the time. And I work outside the home and have my own identity and whatnot. Um, not all of them probably agree with that mindset, but there is sort of the question of how is this an exploitative relationship style? Is this healthy? Is this good or bad for the people involved? Are the children being paid enough attention to? Blah, blah, blah. So um, it's kind of interesting to me from a sociological standpoint and a philosophical standpoint. And um, it's one of these reality shows where like I watch a lot of garbage TV about rich people being <laughs> obnoxious and stupid and, and whatnot. And this is not that. They're not rich. They are, I would say, like solidly like middle class, occasionally teetering on the brink of that because it's it's a lot of money to run their lives. Um, so they don't live in ostentatious homes. They, you know, it's very, very relatable from a lifestyle standpoint, other than the polygamy part. Um and and it's not creepy in the same way that like the Duggar people are or anything like that. This is not a quiverful situation. This is not anything like that. They happen to have a lot of kids, but that's because there's a lot of wives. Each wife only has a kind of biggish family, modest number of children unto themselves. So mm -hmm. it's it's not one of these where they're trying desperately to have a million children that just kind of happened. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, um, it's a lot more lighthearted. It's there's moments that are kind of comedic and funny, but I will say I do not like the dad. I think he is awful and like problematic and weird and like just a clueless dummy. And I don't like him. And somehow um, four women are married to him. There we go. And somehow four women are married <laughs> to him. And I, well, spoiler alert, the reason I started rewatching it is that one of the wives in the current season has left him. Ah. Um, so I got excited to view the lead up to that and see if I could see how that all kind of <laughs> fell apart. So um, so actually now he only has three wives. Mm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it just, I think it just also underscores the stress of having a big family and that it is, in many ways, having a big family is so much of a financial privilege anymore that you almost have to do something weird, like have a reality show to be able to supplement your income. And that's wild. Like, mm. I, I just think we're in such a weird economic space in America right now that, um, that I believe part of the reason they did the show was because it was a financial support for them and that we have to almost put ourselves on display in order to be able to survive. And, you know, that's not, that's not great. So I think it underscores some fundamental problems with how the U S is set up politically, economically, et cetera, not to get too um, crazy about it. But if you want a show that is going to, both make you laugh and cry and also be really frustrated uh, without the obnoxious patina of really, really rich people. This is kind of a good like thing to watch. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's not help. It's not edifying me in any way, shape or form. So. I feel like you're doing your best with that, though, to make it uh, <laughs> to give it some deeper, broader kind of thoughts about it and philosophical things and kind of yeah. get at it from a more academic standpoint a little bit. 
Yeah, I, I do. And I, I think it's interesting. One of their kids did end up coming out as gay and then eventually also non-binary. Um, and so that's been interesting to see a hyper-religious family dealing with that. And the level of acceptance that they um, showed their child was was remarkable and comforting and really good. And I think it dispelled some myths and um, stereotypes that I had. So I do think that it's, it, yeah, it does have some deeper merit. But also, if you do just think, oh, it's fun to watch a big family doing silly things and going on camping trips, like, you can also just enjoy it in a very shallow <laughs> way from that standpoint. Nice. Um, or, nice. Or the soap opera nature of oh, she's mad at her because she just still has got jealousy that is like not great to have in this kind of setup, but it's going to happen because people are human. So um, gotcha. yeah, it's it's really interesting. So I don't know. I don't know if it's for you. It, it is um, not for me. I'm not really a reality <laughs> show person, though, to be fair. The only no. ones I like are really more competition shows yes. and yes. not so much about true reality at all. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can appreciate that this came from a place of sort of wanting to own their life and be public and proud and that yeah. it sounds like the show really does focus most on the lives of these women and how they interact and what they're doing and how they're kind of supporting their families and, you know, living their life. And I can appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, like, the best compliment I can give them all is they all love their kids so much. And I think that's that shows a positive message. Yeah, that's so, great. If nothing else, it's, yeah. It's great. But speaking of, like, something, we're going to shift gears a little <laughs> bit. We both watched, uh, there's no there's no elegant segue for this. No. So we'll just have to go with it. Um, we both watched a Christmas movie. And um, different ones. And I, I think that the one you watched, I would probably really enjoy. I just haven't gotten to it yet. And I would say that you would probably enjoy the one I watched, too. So maybe we'll end up swapping after. Yes. Um, but, but why don't you tell us about the one you watched? Because it sounds so super cute. I will. And for the record, I actually do want to see the one you watched. I just haven't gotten to it yet, either. Um, cool. Okay. So I watched Single All the Way. And it is new on Netflix this year. It's from Netflix itself. It stars, interestingly enough, Michael Yuri as Peter. And he is also a frequent guest star in Younger. And I had just oh, finished great. Younger when I watched Single All the Way. And when he popped up, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Raymond. Raymond. <laughs> oh, Redmond. That's his name. That feels silly. It's Redmond. So that was really fun. But he is a young gay man living in Los Angeles, and he is a social media strategist in L.A. His family, though, lives in New Hampshire and is, you know, in the quintessential Christmas rom-com way. They're very obsessed with Peter having a romantic partnership. They're very upset that he is single. And when the movie starts, Peter has finally met a, a man named Tim who is planning to bring home for the holidays. And things unfold fairly quickly that we discover Tim is not the one. Tim is not really even in this movie. I didn't even remember his name until I pulled up Wikipedia because he just does not matter. But <laughs> um, he's just a little plot device. And Peter... Then convinces his roommate and best friend, Nick, to come home with him for the holidays instead. 
And so Nick is played by, and I hope I pronounce his name correctly, Philemon Chambers, who has only been in like one other thing because I don't not because, but I looked him up on IMDb like as soon as Single All the Way was done because he's dreamy and I wanted to watch as many things as humanly possible that he's in. But he was only in one thing and it's a little short that I don't even know how to find. So he is new, but I'm going to predict he is going to be hot on the scene. And I think he's going to be in a lot of stuff because not only is he dreamy, but he was also very good in this movie. So he is Peter's best friend, Nick. And Peter, of course, is like, come home and pretend to be my partner. And Nick is like, no, thank you. And one of the things I really liked about this movie is that they subvert that little trope where the best friend pretends to be the romantic partner. That doesn't end up happening. So it's nice because this movie isn't kind of grounded in a lot of lies, which can happen in a lot of holiday movies. Um, so that was appreciated. But... Peter brings Nick home to New Hampshire, and it's really clear that Peter loves his family. He has a really big family. Uh, Mom is uh, Carol, who, for the season of Christmas, goes by the name Christmas Carol. And she is played (laughs) by the wonderful Kathy Najimy, who is, of course, just fantastic. And his dad is Harold, who's played by Barry Bostwick. He also has several sisters, I believe three, two or three sisters, and they each have husbands and they each have kids. And he has his Aunt Sandy, who is Jennifer Coolidge, and she's, you know, wonderful always. And this is a very Jennifer Coolidge role. I feel like (laughs) she has particular roles that often fall to her, and this is really, really one of them. So, you know, it brings everything you love about holiday movies together. It's Christmas in New England. It's a big, wonderful family that loves each other and is really happy. It's romance. Uh, Christmas carols sets Peter up with her spin instructor to named James, who is played by Luke McFarlane. And they start going out a little bit. And I don't want to say too much more, although it hits the beats that a Christmas rom-com is supposed to hit. You know, we watch these movies because they're comforting and because we, they're a little bit predictable, right? But that's, that's the benefit of them. That's what we love about them is that little bit of predictability just with some twists along the way. The other thing I really loved about this is, I mean, it's a big gay Christmas movie (laughs) and (laughs) there is way too little representation of the queer community in these holiday rom-com films. And this is fully completely centered in that. And it's a part of the story, but it's also just a couple of gay, a few gay men living their lives and, you know, just being who they are. I watched it with one of my closest friends and her nine year old, and we all just loved it and had a great time that sounds so cute yeah that's definitely up my alley that sounds really cute that reminds me of the Kristen stewart lesbian christmas movie from last year which if you haven't seen that one i recommend i have Um, seen that one i honestly did not like it as much as i wanted to but oh that's okay i'm glad it's there (laughs) yeah 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 I think, yeah, there needs to be much more diversity in holiday movies. And yeah, and that one sounds super cute. And I think I will definitely check it out. Oh, do. You and, should make that yeah. a plan. <laughs> and I, 
I think that you would like A Castle for Christmas, which is the one that I watched. Um, and this is not as obviously diverse as Single All the Way, except for the fact that one other type of romance that I don't think they show in um, cheesy TV Christmas movies is an older couple finding love. And um, these are people in their kind of like late 50s. And I think that is important to show too. Um, so this is, yeah, and you'll you'll like this and you should definitely watch it. But um, this is also a Netflix Christmas movie. And weirdly enough, I have to tell you, the director is Mary Lambert, who is best known for being both a music video director and a horror movie director. Huh. She directed the original Pet Cemetery in the 80s. Um, so this is a major departure for her. But if you also want to support female directors, this is um, kind of a, a two for one there. Um, and uh, so this has like the different Christmas tropes of someone going to uh, Great Britain so or the UK. So this is about... Sophie, um, who is a romance author, um, played by Brooke Shields, who I love, and she ends up going to Scotland for Christmas, um, partially to escape the fact that her latest book, um, she's got like a long running romance series, and she ends up killing off the hero of her books, like the romantic lead guy, and her fans are apoplectic like she ends up going on the drew barrymore show mm. to talk about the book and people are protesting it outside of the show and sophie kind of like loses it on the air and is like i'm allowed to kill or this character off if i want and it's very clear that she killed the character off because he was based on her husband and she's getting a divorce so she's kind of like okay, this is obviously my fans are really mad at me, so I need to get away. And she goes to this Scottish castle where her father, when he was a kid, um, his father, her grandfather had been the caretaker at the castle. So she goes to see the castle as it's part of her kind of family heritage. And of course, the castle is owned by this ill-tempered Duke Miles, who's played by Carrie Elways. And of course, they spar verbally. And it's just this like, um, they're very irritated with each other and all of this. And Miles is uh, kind of underwater with the castle. And so he's selling it. And um, she decides to buy it. But he makes a weird stipulation that she has to live in it for 90 days with him, which mm. is a, such contrived little <laughs> thing, right? Um, and so, of course, they butt heads as they're having this weird thing. And there's beautiful scenery of um, the Scottish countryside. And she spends a lot of time in this cute little pub uh, with a new set of friends who all knit together in this pub. So it's just so cozy and silly. And um, there, <laughs> I watched this with my husband. And when she offered to buy the castle, we both looked at each other and we're like, how much money does she make? Because she's a romance <laughs> novelist, which is like, fine, but she's got this like amazing Manhattan penthouse that she lives in already. And she can just buy a castle like with cash. And it's like, sure. Okay. Um, so apparently she's like Nora Roberts level <laughs> romance novelist. Um, but it's just really sweet. There's a lot of cute little side characters who are eccentric people that live in the town. Um, and Carrie Elways is actually English, not Scottish. So his accent is not great, but it's, <laughs> he does his best by by gum. And so uh, he's still very likable. The only thing I will say is that some of the 
some of like the conflict between them feels so manufactured. Like, you know, these people are both really cute and they're, she's providing him a solution to his money problem and it would work out just fine. And there is literally no reason why they wouldn't just immediately fall in love and have everything be fine. But of course they have to have moments of tension that are just not realistic. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, if you want to see actual um, Scottish countryside, um, the the castle that they used is really in uh, Edinburgh, and um, there's interesting Celtic pop music that they play, and all the people are just delightful and cute. And so um, you really, it's very much just brain candy, and it's kind of dumb. Um, I will say that, like, some of the stuff does make you think these characters are not smart, <laughs> but... <laughs> But not in a bad way. And she gets to wear this really amazing dress at the end. And I don't know. It's just really cute. So, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I think I think that's funny that we think of, like, various places in the UK and probably New England in the US as being the quintessential Christmas movie locations. Or, like, or like out, like, in Wyoming or something. So it has to all be, like, this countryside or very woodsy and and snowy snow covered yep it's gotta be snowy it's gotta be snowy i would like a christmas movie set in la where there's no snow and that that's fine (laughs) (laughs) see i think because you know i grew up in the south where there was never snow on christmas ever 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 it was always this just dream that you know and the fantasy and i think that's what these kinds of movies movies sell us really is the fantasy and yes. I know you um, have a different relationship with snow than I do. So I could see where your fantasy is. How about L.A.? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> How about not yeah. snow? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. Having grown up in the snow, it's like, ugh, come on. Let's let's try, try something different. Let's yes. have an Australian Christmas romance movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, just... That does sound like a really cute movie, though. And I think I'm going to bump it up on my priority list. I might even try to fit that in today because it sounds really fun and sweet. Yeah. And some I know I'll like it. I'm, yeah. I've never questioned that I would like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's cute. And like I said, it's not like they're elderly or anything, but it's nice to see like middle-aged people can fall in love too. And that's Oh, totally. Great, so, absolutely. Yeah. There are, this is not, you know, one of our segments today, but <laughs> there's a series <laughs> of romance books I really love by Jasmine Guillory and one of them follows the parents of another one of the like main people in the books. And that one's just really fun because you're seeing these older folks fall in love and they're not, as you said, elderly, but they are certainly of a different age bracket. And I love that. That's there. Yeah. Actually, I saw a tweet the other day uh, where someone had said that a year ago she tweeted, I wish there was a holiday romance movie about an elderly widow who's Jewish and every day on Christmas she goes to a Chinese restaurant and the restaurateur can't tell her that he also like loves her or something. And that a year later, this woman has that optioned as a holiday movie. That's so great. I can't wait to watch that. I know. I think it's called double happiness. So maybe next year we'll have a Hanukkah old person romance movie out. So it sounds really cute. Sounds great. Um, Yeah. Well, next week, Carrie should be back and we'll have lots more fun pop culture stuff for you. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. 
And you can find the show on Twitter at at podcast. If you want to email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. You can also find the show's website at positivelypopculture.com. And from there, you can find the link to the merch store. Please also rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.